Chapter 28 of the Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Reed All Day. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Boleslaw Pruce. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 28 When the priests and the heir to the throne returned to the courtyard in the evening, several hundred torches were gleaming so brightly that it was as clear there as in the daytime. At a sign from Mefres, there came out again a procession of musicians, dancers, and minor priests carrying a statue of the cow-headed Hathor, and when they had driven away evil spirits, Pentor began to explain again. Ye see, worthy fathers, said he, that since the time of the nineteenth dynasty, a hundred thousand measures of land and two million people have vanished out of Egypt. This explains why the income of the state has decreased thirty-two thousand talents. That it has decreased is known to all of us. But this is only the beginning of misfortunes to the state and the treasury. Ninety-eight thousand talents of income apparently remain to his holiness. But do ye think that the pharaoh receives all this income? I will tell you what his worthiness Herhor discovered in the province of Her. During the 19th dynasty, 20,000 people dwelt in that province. They paid 350 talents of yearly taxes. Today, there are hardly 15,000, and these, of course, pay the treasury only 270 talents. Meanwhile, the pharaoh, instead of receiving 270 talents, receives 170. Why is that? inquired Herhor, and this is what an investigation discovered. During the 19th dynasty, there were in the district about 100 officials, and these received each 1,000 drachmas yearly salary. Today in that same district, though the people have decreased, there are more than 200 officials who receive 2,500 drachmas yearly. It is unknown to his worthiness Herhor if this is the case in every district. But this much is certain, that the treasury of the pharaoh, instead of 98,000 talents annually, has only 74,000. Say, worthy father, 50,000, interrupted Ramses. I will explain that too, replied Pentor. In every case, remember, prince, that the pharaoh's treasury pays today 24,000 talents to officials, while it gave only 10,000 during the 19th dynasty. Deep silence reigned among the dignitaries, for more than one of them had a relative in office, well paid moreover, but Pentor was unterrified. Now, continued he, I will show thee, O Hare, the manner of life among officials, and the lot of common people in those old times and in our day. Will it not take too much time? Besides, every man can see for himself, murmured the priests very promptly. I wish to know this, said the prince, with decision. The murmur ceased. Mentor went down along the steps of the amphitheatre to the court, and after him went the prince, the high priests Mefres, and the others. They halted before a long curtain of mats, forming, as it were, a palisade. At a sign from Pentor, some tens of minor priests hastened up with blazing torches. Another sign, and a portion of the curtain fell. From the lips of those present came a shout of admiration. They had before them 
a brightly illuminated tableau, in which about one hundred persons were the characters. The tableau was divided into three stories. On the lower story stood earth tillers, on a higher were officials, and on the highest was the golden throne of the pharaoh, resting on two lions whose heads were the arms of the throne. It was in this way, said Pentor, during the 19th dynasty. Look at the earth tillers. At their ploughs ye see sometimes oxen, sometimes asses. Their picks, spades, and shovels are bronze, and hence are lasting. See what stalwart men they are. Today one could find such only in the guard of his holiness. Their hands and feet are strong, their breasts full, their faces smiling. All are bathed and anointed with olive oil. Their wives are occupied in preparing food and clothing, or in washing house utensils. The children are at school or are playing. The laborer of that time, as you see, ate wheaten bread, beans, flesh, fish, and fruit. He drank beer or wine, and see how beautiful were the plates and pitchers. Look at the caps, aprons, and capes of the men, all adorned with various colored needlework. Still more beautifully embroidered were the skirts of women, and note how carefully they combed their hair, what brooches, earrings, and bracelets they had. Those ornaments were made of bronze and colored enamel. Even gold was found among them, though only in the form of wire. Raise now your eyes to officials. They wore mantles, but every laborer wore just such a dress on holidays. They lived exactly as did laborers, that is, in sufficiency, but modestly. Their furniture was ornamented somewhat more than that of laborers, and gold rings were found oftener in their caskets. They made journeys on asses or in cars drawn by oxen. Pentor clapped his hands, and on the stage there was movement. The laborers gave the officials baskets of grapes, bags of barley, peas and wheat, jugs of wine, beer, milk and honey, game and stuffs, many pieces white or colored. The officials took these products, kept a portion for themselves, but the choicest and most costly they put up higher for the throne. The platform where stood the symbol of the pharaoh's power was covered with products, which formed, as it were, a small mountain. Ye see, worthy men, said Pentor, that in those times, when earth tillers were satisfied and wealthy, the treasury of his holiness could hardly find place for the gifts of his subjects. But see what is happening in our day. At a new signal, a second part of the curtain fell, and another tableau appeared, similar to the preceding in general outline. Here are our laborers of the present, said Penitor, and in his voice indignation was evident. Their bodies are skin and bones, they look like sick persons, they are filthy and have forgotten to anoint themselves with olive oil, but their backs are wounded from beating. Neither oxen nor asses are near them, for what need is there of those beasts if ploughs are drawn by women and children? Picks and shovels are wooden, they spoil easily, and that increases men's labor. They have no clothes whatever. Only women wear coarse shirts, and not even in a dream do they look at embroidery, though their grandfathers and grandmothers wore it. Look now at the food of the earth tillers. At times barley and dried fish, lotus seed always, rarely a wheat cake, never flesh, beer, or wine. Ask them where their utensils and furniture are. They have none, unless a pitcher for water, nothing could find room in the dens which they inhabit. Pardon me now, 
for that to which I turn your attention. Over there, a number of children are lying on the ground. That means that they are dead. It is wonderful how many children of laborers die from toil and hunger. And those that die are the happiest. For they who survive go under the club of the overseer, or are sold to the Phoenician as lambs to the... Emotion stopped his voice. He rested a while, and then continued amid the angry silence of the priesthood. And now look at the officials. How animated they are in rouge. How beautiful their clothes are. Their wives wear gold bracelets and earrings, and such fine garments that princes might envy them. Among laborers, not an ox or an ass is now visible, but to make up officials' journey on horseback or in litters. They drink only wine, and that of good quality. He clapped his hands, and again there was movement. The laborers gave the officials bags of wheat, baskets of fruit, wine, game. These objects the officials as before placed near the throne, but in quantities considerably smaller. On the pharaoh's platform, there was no longer a mountain of products, but the platform of the officials was covered. This is the Egypt of our day, continued Pensor. Laborers are the indigents, scribes are wealthy, the treasury is not so full as it once was. But now, he gave a sign, and a thing unexpected took place there before them. Certain hands seized grain, fruit, stuffs from the platform of the pharaoh and the officials. And when the amount of the goods had decreased greatly, those same hands begin to seize and lead away laborers, their wives and children. The spectators looked with amazement at the peculiar methods of those mysterious persons. Suddenly someone cried out, Those are Phoenicians. They plunder us in that way. That is it, holy fathers, said Pensor. Those are the hands of Phoenicians, concealed in the midst of us. They plunder the pharaoh and the scribes, and lead away laborers, captive when there is nothing to drag from them. Yes, they are jackals, a curse on Phoenicians. Expel them, the wretches, cried the priests. It is they who inflict the greatest damage on Egypt. Not all, however, shouted in that way. When there was silence, Pentor commanded to take the torches to the other side of the court, and thither he conducted his hearers. There were no tableau there, but a kind of industrial exhibition. Be pleased to look, said he. During the 19th dynasty, foreigners sent us these things. We received perfumes from Punt, gold, iron weapons, and chariots of war came from Syria. That is all. But Egypt manufactured in those days. Look at these immense pictures, how many forms, and what a variety of colors. Or the furniture, that armchair was made of 10,000 pieces of gold, mother of pearl, and woods of various hues. Look at the robes of that period. What embroidery, what delicacy of material, how many colors. And the bronze swords, the brooches, bracelets, earrings, and implements of tillage and crafts of various descriptions. All these were made in this country during the 19th dynasty. He passed to the next group of objects. But today, look, the pictures are small and almost without ornament. The furniture is simple, the stuffs coarse and devoid of variety. Not one thing made today can we compare as to shape, durability, or beauty with those of former ages. Why has this happened? He advanced a number of steps again, surrounded by torches. Here is a great number of things, said he. 
which the Phoenicians bring us from various regions. Some tens of kinds of incense, colored glass, furniture, vessels, woven stuffs, chariots, ornaments. All these come from Asia and are bought by us. Do ye understand now, worthy fathers, why the Phoenicians tear away grain, fruit, and cattle from the scribes and the pharaoh? In pay for those foreign goods which have destroyed our artisans as locusts destroy vegetation. Among things obtained th through Phoenicians for his holiness, the nomarchs and the scribes, gold has the first place. This kind of commerce is the most accurate picture of calamities inflicted on Egypt by Asia. When a man borrows gold to the amount of one talent, he is obliged in three years to return two talents. But most frequently the Phoenicians, under pretext of decreasing trouble for the debtor, assure payment in their own way, that is, debtors for each talent borrowed give them as tenants for three years two measures of land and thirty-two people. See there, worthy fathers, said he, pointing to a sign of the court which was better lighted. That square of land, one hundred and ten yards in length, and as wide, signifies two measures. The men, women, and children of that crowd mean eight families. All that together, people and land, pass for three years into dreadful captivity. During that time their owner, the pharaoh or a nomarch, has no profit at all from them. At the end of that term, he receives the land back exhausted, and of the people, twenty in number at the very highest. The rest have died under torture. Those present shuddered with horror. I have said that the Phoenician takes two measures of land and thirty-two people for three years in exchange for one talent. See what a space of land and what a crowd of people. Look now at my hand. This piece of gold which I grasp here, this lump, less than a hen's egg in size, is a talent. Can you estimate the complete insignificance of the Phoenicians in this commerce? This small lump of gold has no real value. It is yellow, it is heavy, a man cannot eat it. And that is the end of the matter. A man does not clothe himself with gold, and he cannot stop his hunger or thirst with it. If he had a lump of gold as big as the pyramid, he would be as poor at the foot of it as a Libyan wandering through the western desert, where there is neither a date nor a drop of water. And see, for a piece of this barren metal, a Phoenician takes a piece of land which suffices to feed and clothe thirty-two people, and besides that he takes the people. For three years he exercises power over beings who know how to cultivate land, gathering grain, make flour and beer, weave garments, build houses, and make furniture. At the same time, the pharaoh or the nomarch is deprived for three years of the services of those people. They pay him no tribute, they carry no burdens for the army, but they toil to give income to the greedy Phoenician. Ye know, worthy fathers, that at present there is not a year during which in this or that province an insurrection does not break out among laborers exhausted by hunger, borne down by toil, or beaten with sticks. And some of those men perish, others are sent to the quarries, while the land is depopulated more and more for this reason only, that the Phoenician gave a lump of gold to some landowner. Is it possible to imagine greater misery? And is Egypt not to lose land and people yearly under such conditions? Victorious wars undermined Egypt, but Phoenician gold dealers are finishing it. On the faces of the priests, satisfaction was depicted. 
they were more willing to hear of the guile of Phoenicians than the excesses of scribes throughout Egypt. Pentor rested a while, then he turned to the viceroy. For some months, said he, Ramses, O servant of the gods, thou hast been inquiring why the income of his holiness is diminished. The wisdom of the gods has shown thee that not only the treasure has decreased, but also the army, and that both those sources of royal power will decrease still further and the end will be utter ruin for this country, unless heaven sends down a ruler who will stop the inundation of misery, which for some hundreds of years is overwhelming Egypt. The treasury of the pharaohs was full when we had more land and people. We must win back from the desert the fertile lands which it has swallowed, and remove from the people those burdens which weaken and kill them. The priests were alarmed again, as Pentateur might mention scribes for the second time. Thou hast seen, prince, with thy own eyes, and before witnesses, that in the epoch when people were well nourished, stalwart, and satisfied, the treasury of the pharaoh was full. But when people began to look wretched, when they were forced to plough with their wives and children, when lotus seed took the place of wheat and flesh, the treasury grew needy. If thou wish, therefore, to bring the state to that power which it had before the wars of the nineteenth dynasty, if thou desire that the pharaoh his scribes and his army should live in plenty, assure long peace to the land and prosperity to the people. Let grown persons eat flesh again and dress in embroidered garments, and let children, instead of groaning and dying under blows, play or go to school. Remember finally that Egypt bears within its bosom a deadly serpent. Those present listened with fear and curiosity. That serpent, which is sucking at the blood of the people, the property of the nomarchs, and the power of the pharaoh, is the Phoenician. Away with the Phoenicians, cried the priests. Blot out all debts to them. Admit not their ships and merchants. Silence was enforced by the high priest Mephres, who with tears in his eyes turned to Pentor. I doubt not, said he, that the holy Hathor is speaking through thy lips to us, not only because no man could be so wise and all-knowing as thou art, but besides, I have seen two flames as horns above thy forehead. I thank thee for the great words with which thou hast dispelled our ignorance. I bless thee, and I pray the gods when I am summoned before them to make thee my advocate. An unbroken shout from the rest of the assembly supported the blessing of the highest dignitary. The priests were the better satisfied, since alarm had hung over them, lest Penator might refer to the scribes a second time but the sage knew how to restrain himself. He indicated the internal wound of the state, but he did not inflame it, and therefore his triumph was perfect. Prince Ramses did not thank Pencil. He only dropped his head to his own bosom. No one doubted, however, that the discourse of the prophet had shaken the soul of the heir, and that it was a seed from which prosperity and glory might spring up from Egypt. Next morning, Pencil, without taking farewell of any, left the temple at sunrise and journeyed away in the direction of Memphis. For a number of days, Prince Ramses held converse with no man. He meditated, he sat in his cell, or walked up and down the shady corridors. Work in his soul was progressing. In reality, Penator had declared no new truth. All had been complaining of the decrease of land and people in Egypt, of the misery of workmen, the abuses of scribes, and the extortion of Phoenicians. 
but the discourse of the prophet had given them tangible forms and illustrated facts very clearly. The Phoenicians terrified the prince. He had not estimated till that time the enormity of the misfortunes brought on people of Egypt by those merchants. His horror was all the more vivid, since he had rented out his own subjects to Dagon, and was himself witness of the way in which the banker collected his dues from them. But his entanglement in the business of Phoenicians produced strange results in Ramses. He did not wish to think of Phoenicians, and whenever anger flamed up in his mind against those strangers, the feeling of shame was destroyed in him. He was in a certain sense their confederate. Meanwhile, he understood perfectly how serious the decrease was in land and in people, and on this he placed the main emphasis in his lonely meditation. If we had, said he to himself, those two millions of people lost by Egypt, we might through help from them win back those fertile lands from the desert. We might even extend those lands. And then in spite of Phoenicians, our laborers would be in a better condition, and there would be also increase in the income of Egypt. But where can we find men? Chance gave the answer. On a certain evening the prince, while walking through the gardens of the temple, met a crowd of captives whom Nitija had seized on the eastern boundary and sent to the goddess Hathor. Those people were perfectly built, they did more work than Egyptians, and they did it because they were properly nourished, hence even satisfied with their position. When he saw them, his mind was cleared as if by a lightning flash. He almost lost presence of mind from emotion. The country needs men, many men, hundreds of thousands, even a million, two millions, and here are men. The only need was to turn to Asia, seize all whom they might meet on the road, and send them to Egypt. War must continue, till so many were taken that every earth tiller from the cataract to the sea might have his own bondman. Thus rose a plan, colossal and simple, thanks to which Egypt would find population, the earth tillers aid in their labor, and the treasury of the pharaoh an endless source of income. The prince was enchanted, though next day a new doubt sprang up in him. Pinotor had announced with great emphasis while Hehor had asserted still earlier that victorious wars were the source of misfortune for the country. From this it resulted that to raise Egypt by a new war was impossible. Pinotor is a great sage, and so is Hehor, thought Ramses. If they consider war harmful, if the high priest Mephres and other priests judge in that same way, then perhaps war is in fact dangerous. It must be dangerous, if so many holy and wise men insist thus. Ramses was deeply disappointed. He had thought out a simple method of elevating Egypt, but the priests maintained that this was the true way to ruin it. The priests are most holy, and they are wise men. But something happened which cooled the faith of the prince somewhat in the truthful speech of the priests, or rather, it roused his previous distrust of them. Once he was going with a certain leech to the library, the way lay through a dark and narrow corridor from which the hair drew back with a repulsion. I will not go by this way, said he. Why not? inquired the leech, with astonishment. Dost thou not remember, holy father, that at the end of that corridor is an opening in which a certain traitor was tortured to death without pity? Aha, answered the leech, there is an opening there, into which we poured boiling pitch at command of Pentor. And ye killed a man. The leech smiled. He was a kindly, gladsome person. So observing the indignation of the prince, 
he said after some meditation, it is not permitted to betray temple secrets. Of course, before each of the greater solemnities, we bring this to the mind of younger candidates. His tone was so peculiar that Ramses required explanation. I cannot betray secrets, replied the leech, but promise, worthiness, to hide a story in thy breast, and I will tell thee one. Ramses promised. The leech gave his narrative. A certain Egyptian priest, while visiting temples in the unbelieving land of Aram, met at one of them a man who seemed to be in good flesh and satisfied, though he wore wretched garments. Explain to me, said the priest to the gladsome poor man, how it is that, though thou art indigent, thy body looks as though wert chief of this temple. That man looked around then, to see if anyone were listening, and answered, I am fat, because my voice is very woeful, hence I am a martyr at this temple. When people come to service here, I crawl into an opening, and groan with all the strength that is in my body. For this they give me food abundantly throughout the year, and a large jug of beer every day when I am tortured. Thus do they manage in the unbelieving land of Aram, said the leech, as he raised a finger to his lips, and added, Remember, prince, what thou hast promised, and of boiling pitch in this place, think whatever suits thee. The story roused the prince anew. He felt relief, because a man had not been killed in the temple, but all his earlier distrust of priests sprang into life again. That they deluded simple people, he knew. He remembered the priest's procession with the sacred bull Apis while he was in their school. The people were convinced that Apis led the priests, while every student saw that the divine beast went in whatever direction priests drove him. Who could tell, therefore, that Pentor's discourse was not intended for him, as that procession of Apis for the people? For that matter, it was easy to put on the ground beans of red or other colours, and also it was not difficult to arrange tablet. How much more splendid were those exhibitions which he had seen, even the struggles of Set with Osiris, in which a number of hundreds of persons assisted. But in that case too, did not the priests deceive people? That was given as a battle of the gods. Meanwhile, it was carried on by men in disguise. In it Osiris perished, but the priest who represented Osiris came out as sound as a rhinoceros. What wonders did they not exhibit there? Water rose, there were peals of thunder, the earth trembled and vomited fire, and that was all deception. Why should the exhibition make my penitent be true? Besides, the prince had discovered strong indications that they wished to deceive him. The man groaning underground and covered, as it were, with boiling pitch by the priests was deception. But let that pass. The prince had convinced himself frequently that Herhor did not want war. Mefres also did not want it. Penetor was the assistant of one of them, and the favorite of the other. Such a struggle was taking place in the prince that it seemed to him at, at one time that he understood everything, at another that he was surrounded by darkness, now he was full of hope, and now he doubted everything. From hour to hour, from day to day, his soul rose and fell like the waters of the Nile in the course of its yearly changes. Gradually, however, the prince recovered his balance, and when the time came to leave the temple, he had formulated certain views of the problem. First of all, he understood clearly that Egypt needed more land and more people. Second, he believed that the simplest way to find men was a war with Asia. 
that Penitor had proved to him that war could only heighten the disaster. A new question rose then. Did Penitor speak the truth, or was he lying? If he spoke the truth, he plunged the prince into despair, for Ramses saw no means to raise the state except war. Unless war were made, Egypt would lose population yearly, and the treasury of the pharaoh would increase its debts till the whole process would end in some ghastly overthrow, perhaps even in the reign of the coming pharaoh. But if Penetor lied, why should he lie? Evidently because Herhor, Mefres, and the whole priestly corporation have persuaded him to act thus. But why did priests oppose war? What interests had they in opposing? Every war brought immense profit to them and the pharaoh. But would the priests deceive him in an affair so far-reaching? Is it true that they deceived very often, but in small matters, not when it was a question of the future and the existence of the state? It was not possible to assert that they deceived always. Besides, they were the servants of the gods and the guardians of great secrets. Spirits resided in their temples. Of this Ramses convinced himself on the first night after he had come to that temple of Hathor. But if the gods did not permit the uninitiated to approach their altars, if they watched so carefully over temples, why did they not watch over Egypt, which is the greatest of all temples? When some days later Ramses, after a solemn religious service, left the temple of Hathor amid the blessings of the priests, two questions were agitating him. Could war with Asia really harm Egypt? Could the priests in this question be deceiving him, the heir to the throne? End of chapter 28